residence during 2008 and 2009. And so he is here to share with us his side of the story of how this church has come back to life from the grave. So would you please join me in welcoming Dr. Howard Ennington. Years ago now, my wife gave me this little Bible. There's an inscription written in it. It reads, this book is the infallible guide, the source of all truth, and the standard of direction. Take it to your pulpit and take it to your heart. I have followed her instructions. I trust this book with my life, and I have entrusted my life to the proclaiming of its truth. A case in point, Jerusalem was in ruins. Many of her citizens had been carted off into slavery. One of them, a man named Nehemiah, Against all odds and because of his incredible talent and ability, managed to fare rather well in his slave state. In fact, he rose to become assistant to King Artaxerxes. It was then that he learned of the fate of his homeland, about how the city of Jerusalem had been totally devastated, how the people were living under crushing need, and how the city did not seem to be able to pull itself together again. It pained him so much. He prayed to God to help him find a way to respond. God said to him, Nehemiah, you have the ear of the king. Start there. And so he approached King Artaxerxes, asking for permission to return to Jerusalem in order to rebuild and restore the city. The king granted permission. Nehemiah, once in Jerusalem, assessed very carefully the physical and spiritual needs of the city, devised plans for addressing both, and then presented those plans to the people. Of that occasion, he wrote, I said, the hand of God has been upon me for good. He then went on to declare that he believed that God was calling all of them together to rebuild and restore the city. The response was overwhelming. The people cried out, let us start building. And then there is this incredible line. They all committed themselves together for the common good. And the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt and restored as the city of God. The central church was in ruins. In November of 2007, the Presbytery of New York issued a report declaring, among other things, that the church was hopelessly divided and was both theologically and financially bankrupt. There seemed to be little or no hope at all. 
And in fact, there was a move within the presbytery to close the church down. But thankfully, there was a small group of people here at Central who believed that it was not the will of God to close this church. They were led primarily by Jim Johnson, whose gentle grace belies a steely and indomitable faith. And by Nils Hansen, whose physical vision is limited, but whose spiritual vision reaches all the way to heaven. It was at that point that Jim Johnson contacted Tricia and me. At the time, we were leading a tour group in Egypt and Israel. How in the world he found us, I have no idea. <laughs> but he asked us to come to New York, and with his gentle but firm persuasion, we agreed to do that. When we arrived, we found, indeed, a physical structure in ruins, ugly scaffolding on the outside, protecting people from falling stones in the facade. No sign on the outside that there was even a church on the inside. Exposed wiring on the walls, floor tiles shattered and broken, ceiling tiles damaged and missing, furnishings having been looted by previous church leaders. The lighting here, so dim you could barely read the order of worship. The gym was a shambles. And the basement, dear God, the basement. <laughs> it was the playground of the devil. <laughs> it was filled with mountains of cans of rotting vegetables and meat. And believe it or not, filled with more bottles of liquor than you would find in any New York bar or pub. <laughs> ah, but there was still that small group of people whose faith was so genuine and whose love for Central was so unmistakable. And so Trisha and I, against the opposition of the presbytery, came to Central in the fall of 2008. I would not hesitate to say to you that within days I began to sense that God indeed had his hand on this church for good and that God was intending to create a miracle right here on Park Avenue. Three very basic little elements came together to begin to form the basis for God's miraculous work. One, biblical preaching. The first Sunday I stood in this place, there were 14 people here. But I did the only thing I have ever known how to do in my life and that is to preach the pure, unadulterated, life-changing, death-defeating gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I was very much aware that this pulpit was once occupied by the famous Harry Emerson Fosdick. 
Fosdick was very, very popular, but he was also notoriously liberal. And he set a tone in this church, which actually followed on for years thereafter, resulting in successive, failed, even unethical, corrupt, pastoral, liberal leaders in this church. Harry and Fosdick once said, I do not believe in the virgin birth, and I do not know any intelligent minister who does. That is precisely why on my first Christmas sermon from this pulpit, I chose the title, I do believe in the virgin birth, oh do I ever. It was a deliberately chosen signal that from that point on, this pulpit would foster true, faithful, biblical preaching. In my 50 years in the ministry, I've seen repeatedly the power of biblical preaching in producing miraculous results. And yet I would say to you, Nowhere have I seen that more clearly than right here in Central Church. And that's why the very first time I heard Jason Harris preach, I knew that he would be God's man for this pulpit. He is a powerful biblical preacher. Just look at the results all around you. Oh, it took a long time for the Lord to get Jason's attention. <laughs> and it took a long time for this church to overcome the obstacles created by the presbytery. But God prevailed. And I can tell you now, the day I stood in this pulpit to preach the sermon for the installation of Jason as the pastor of this church, I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that while this may once have been the pulpit known as the pulpit of Harry Emerson Fosdick, henceforth this pulpit will be known as the pulpit of Jason Harris, a powerful biblical preacher par excellence. inspiring worship. When I first arrived here, worship in this place was, yikes. <laughs> it was lifeless. It was deadly dull. It was led by a man in his 80s who had limited ability to play this once magnificent organ and who used the church's scant resources to pay a group of his friends to form a choir. Not exactly a choir of angels. When I'd been here for six weeks, as I entered the sanctuary one Sunday morning, this man was there to greet me. He handed me a letter. He said, I want you to read this letter, and then I want you to give it to the elders after church. I read the letter. The letter said, I am demanding a six months paid leave of absence or until Howard Eddington is gone. I can no longer stand hearing him preach about Jesus. 
I don't even know that I believe in Jesus. I gave the letter to the elders. Within minutes, they granted him a permanent, unpaid leave of absence, <laughs> effective immediately. And when he left, the choir left, except, except for one man, the ever-faithful Dominic Wong. Right then and there, God's miracle began to explode. Immediately thereafter, I got word about a young man named Seth Ward. I called him up and asked for an appointment, 30 minutes. It turned into three hours. Instant bonding. Here was an incredibly gifted musician with a faith as big as all outdoors. And I knew that I was in the presence of greatness. Little did we know what it would ultimately mean. Immediately I called Nils Hansen, told him what had happened. He said, hire him on the spot. And so we did. We didn't know that we also were going to get Amber. And that these two would begin to provide a worship leadership that has continued through the years and continues to lift us closer and closer to the realms of glory. <laughs> Seth taught me to love the hymn, In Christ Alone. It actually became kind of our personal theme song. But more to the point, more to the point, those words, in Christ alone, have marked the magnificent worship services which have followed in all of the years since. And here, in this sacred space, we are drawn closer to the spirit of the living God. And their efforts and the efforts of so many others sharing their gifts and talents have created here an atmosphere so palpable that I contend that when you walk through the doors of that sanctuary, you literally feel the energy of the Spirit of God. Three, embracing community. My wife, Tricia, immediately recognized that in the young people who suddenly started coming to Central, that there was a need for fellowship and friendship. And so she started a coffee hour after church. It was an immediate success, and it began to grow. And then it turned into not just coffee, but light hors d'oeuvres and lively conversation. And it continued to grow still. And then it began to extend into the afternoon hours and on through the day. So that now it became lunch. <laughs> and what was happening there was that people were dealing with one another at a significant level. They were creating deep bonds of friendship. And they were establishing an atmosphere of embracing community that ultimately has permeated the whole church. And then, thank you, Lord, 
Claudette Chan. <laughs> the irrepressible Claudette Chan, who reminds me of Martha in the New Testament. Claudette took over the task and took it to a whole new level where it remains now. And the wondrous thing is that now here in this embracing community, people of every conceivable background and circumstance, people of all ages, from our wonderful Edith Sagal, 100 years old, to our newborn infant, Eleanor K. Souffleris, all bound up together by the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And as I look at this church now, I have to tell you, it begins to look to me a whole lot like the new heaven and the new earth. Well, God wove those three little elements into a miraculous story. The story of the miracle on Park Avenue. The story of a church written off for dead. Now, gloriously alive. The hand of God has been upon this church for good and his hand shall remain. And therefore, I ask you, will you be willing to commit yourselves together for the common good? Will you be willing to do all that you can and to give all that you can in order to restore this cathedral church so that by the power of God, the Central Church of New York will continue to shine the bright light of the gospel of Jesus to this all around us, the greatest city in the world. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Amen and amen. <laughs>